Welcome to Account-Based Marketing. This podcast is designed as a collection of conversations with sales and marketing leaders, sharing thoughts and practical tips for growing your most valuable customers. Hosted by me, Alicia Linden, founder and CEO at Momentum ABM. Welcome to this episode of Account-Based Marketing. Today, we're talking about getting growth right, both in the short term and the long term. Many of our listeners are adjusting their sales and marketing strategies to build pipeline and secure revenue against the backdrop of massive change in industries. And today's guest is well-versed in industry change, operating in both oil and gas and aviation, two of the most affected industries right now. I'm really thrilled to be joined by Ryan Almond, Global ABM Lead at Baker Hughes. Welcome to the episode. Thank you, Alicia. It's an absolute pleasure. Pleasure to be part of it. Good to have you with us. Do you want to start by giving us a bit of an overview of who Baker Hughes are and and your role? Yeah, absolutely. So um, Baker Hughes are an energy technology company, obviously have a predominant focus on oil and gas, but we also deliver a number of solutions outside of oil and gas. Uh, Our digital solution business provides a number of different industrial uh, solutions to decrease downtime, increase productivity in a wide range of industrial manufacturing settings. So you're absolutely right. That ranges from you know, aviation all the way through to you know, food and beverage, pharmaceutical, automotive, any of uh, the, the big uh, industrials. And so actually, we, uh, you know, that, that's not necessarily well known, but we have quite a wide horizontal um, scope in terms, of, uh, in terms of verticals. And so uh, we're very used to obviously dealing with the challenges of all the different industries and, and helping our customers as in line with this podcast topic through the short term, as well as helping them build for the long term. Got it. And there is a real focus right now on the short term, uh, particularly as uh, companies and organizations pivot and potentially at the expense of uh, long-term interest. What's your take on on that and getting that balance right? Well, I think it's really interesting. I mean, the first thing that I would say is that it's completely understandable. I mean, I think as human beings, our natural visceral reaction to any short-term disruption is to want to act on that. I think, uh, you know, the bigger question to your point is whether that's necessary in the circumstances. So we talk about, you know, the two of us being ABM practitioners, thinking about building a vertical marketing on account-based marketing plan for the long term. And you'd have to say that that's kind of the, the ethos of ABM to a certain extent is really building to service your customers through, you know, and, and become partners to them, certainly your top tier accounts. So the question would potentially be, uh, should you be changing, you know, your entire strategy based on some sort of short term disruption? Or should you keep the structure and the foundations of that strategy and potentially adjust whether it be the messaging or the solutions or whatever it might be in the short term to serve those existing accounts uh, or those, those, those accounts that are part of your structure anyway through the short term to build back into your overall long-term plan and i think that's the way i would look at it the only caveat to this i think is if you know potentially you were to look at an industry and say is there a severe severe long-term um issue with with the industry itself and i think that you know we 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 have to look at this positively and say you know perhaps short perhaps medium term you know there is disruption uh, and, and and throughout the history of time we've seen that uh, in different industries. But, you know, should you change your f- uh, fundamental strategy, uh, the industries you target, et cetera, et cetera? I don't believe so. I think that you can change the way that you work with your customers, with your accounts. I think that's something that we we would advocate at Baker Hughes is to be there for the customer all the way through and then to still work towards that long-term plan. 
And ha- how has that affected your your own thinking and, and thinking about account-based marketing as a long game? Have you adapted some of the tactics that you're, you're applying? Is it a, a shift in the markets that you're focused on? Are, are you making big changes for that immediate kind of short-term pivot? Well, I, I think, again, you know, it relates back to changing it. I, I think actually the interesting point here is if you go back six months or 12 months or two years and you're building a solid strategic vertical marketing or ABM plan, what would be part of that plan? Part of that plan would be understanding your target accounts implicitly, certainly your mid-tier and your top-tier accounts, day to week to week, month to month. Understanding what what those accounts are doing day to day, what their short-term plan is, their medium-term plan and their long-term plan. So even if you have some level of disruption, does that really change the way that you do your research on those accounts? Uh, I don't think it does. I think that you, are, of course, the, the, the macro situation might have changed, uh, but you're still understanding what your accounts are doing day to day, week to week. And if that takes a massive change, you would have, you would have had to have understood that anyway, because that's baked in, I think, decent ABM philosophy. So actually... Uh, I think the process of understanding who your top accounts are, your mid, your mid-tier accounts, et cetera, what they're doing, how they're doing it, that actual process isn't changed, doesn't change, but the outcome of that process might change. So as I say, your short-term messaging, perhaps the solutions that you might offer might change to help them through that period and 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 plan for the long term. But it's my view that an, a solid ABM strategy in itself, in terms of the, the structure, the actual process wouldn't change whatsoever. Yeah. So if I'm hearing you correctly, it's about the, the strategy itself doesn't change, but you, you've got points of optimization where you're reacting or, or getting on the front foot um, to optimize like messaging. Absolutely. And, and you would do that anyway, right? You would do that anyway. Absolutely. It's obviously an, an enhanced version of that, yeah. And, and heightened at a much far faster rate, yeah. And thinking about some of the sectors that have been um, affected the most, and particularly right now in the short term, if I look at aviation, you know, hospitality, some of those sectors have, have ground to a, a halt. How can you adapt an ABM program to drive growth now in, in sectors that, that have been highly impacted? Yeah, so again, I think it's 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 about understanding the individual account wants and needs, and then tailoring the message and the solution to that. Uh, even in these scenarios, I mean, you know, if we take a broader look at this and we think about, you know, what sort of changes might have been made, hypothetically speaking, you know, uh, let's say for example, an account, uh, you know, has perhaps cost saving measures that they want to implement, or you know, there is a, a limitation on capex ex- expenditure. Um, you know, can you change your model to service them through more of an OPEX model? Or, you know, there, there's there's not only just messaging that can be adapted to support um, your markets, but also actually potentially the, even, even the commercial structure that, that you operate within. So it's really about, you know, being flexible and uh, adapting your, your approach around those accounts and, and where they're headed for short to medium term. Again, back to that point, that's kind of what you would do anyway. It's definitely heightened. Now. Yeah. So I think that's sort of a potentially a hypothetical example of something that you could do to sustain that relationship in the short term, which will then set you up as we emerge to actually grow and potentially be even stronger. Yeah. I mean, what, one of the things that we're seeing, as well as that pivot of commercial structures, is, is re-looking at some of the propositions and offerings that you can take to add value to those customers from a what, what would deliver uh, short-term cost savings or business impact versus the, the long-term payback over two years or finding ways to optimize what they already have versus a, a significant transformation. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. 
And what about balancing that with the long term? So if you're thinking and looking at these accounts that are heavily affected in particular industries, they're going through lots of disruption and change. Are you able to paint a vision um, that is two years out, three years out for these accounts? Is, Is there a roadmap? Yeah, absolutely. I think this comes down to, you know, who are you as a a company and what are the outcomes that you're driving, you know, even potentially for society? I mean, Mm -hmm. I mean, there's a couple of things we can dig into here. So if we think about long term and you think about companies that are, you know, such as Baker Hughes, who are looking at really the fourth industrial revolution and really delivering, um, you know, increased connectivity, smarter ways of working, higher levels of efficiency, which drive down costs, but increase the level of outcome in manufacturing operations. Well, in a way, that's critical now, as it will be in the future, as, uh, that we're building towards. And so the messaging can be tweaked, the solution can be tweaked, for example. But what you're fundamentally offering is a platform for growth into the long term anyway. Now, that won't work for every single industry. But certainly, I think that is a great way to position to deliver exceptional results for your customers now, whilst actually at the very same time building a platform that that you're going to use in the future anyway. And I think that the the Industry 4.0 is a great example of that. You know, connectivity within the factory, driving outcomes for for customers that that obviously will improve their operations, but enable them to do things that they weren't able to do before. I mean, that's kind of applicable now. I mean, you know, at the end of the day, you want to have more efficient operations. And so I think that that can be embedded in into the value proposition in the short term, but still very much links to the long term. Some of the things that we're going to be doing with our customers in the long term is that completely uh, mutually exclusive from what we would be talking to them about now. No, it's not mutually exclusive. There's, there's still going to be the same underlying themes. So I think that's how you adapt your messaging in the short term, but still make it completely relevant to what you're driving them towards in the long term. So, Ryan, many companies are are now switching gears. They're trying to target um, different accounts where they um, see either short-term opportunity or or immediate value that they can bring to those segments. What's your take on account-based marketing programs where you are pivoting accounts at at a rapid rate? I mean, I guess it really depends on the value proposition. I mean, if you are talking about, you know, high volume of products, perhaps more commoditized, short buying cycle, I, I can see I can see a rationale behind that. Um, if it's not, if you really do have a longer term play, as I was mentioning before, I don't see the need for that fundamental level of pivoting around who you're targeting, how you're targeting them. Yes, but but who you're targeting. I think a question that I would, well, a, a, a thought that I would, you know, allude to is uh, why if we're building a long-term strategic ABM plan and you've done that properly, why would you be there for your customers in the good times and not the not-so-good times? I, I think it really is the antithesis of what true ABM is. And so if you have a longer-term play, I, I just don't see the need for that. Of course, I'll caveat it. You know That, that doesn't apply in all scenarios. If, if you potentially don't have a longer-term play in terms of the buying cycle and the, the solutions or the products that you're providing, of course, that might be different. And you might you know, adjust different levels of spend or resource from some markets to other markets, et cetera. I can completely understand that. Uh, but I think where you are looking to partner with customers for the long term, again, to go back to that earlier point, I don't think the structure changes at all. Yeah, I think it it, it does go against the philosophy of of so much account based marketing, as in not not just being opportunistic and turning up when when there's revenue on the table, and that's when you start surrounding an account, but actually being there for the long game and supporting them as as they shape their business, e- even if they're not buying this year. 
Absolutely. And how about keeping up with the, the pace of change that's going on at, at customers? If things are rapidly changing in, in those organizations, um, the, the kind of long, deep ABM planning process that, that we saw a few years ago when we've pivoted quite a lot ourselves to, to a more agile, always on approach. How is that shifting things, it, you know, scanning the horizon, seeing what's happening in your customers and adapting your, your tactics and strategies to respond to those things? Yeah, absolutely. I, I think it comes back again to this idea of building a solid long-term ABM strategy and process. So to your point, you know, if you're looking at your key target accounts, you want to understand implicitly everything about them to understand how you can best serve them. Now, that will consist of a number of different ways of doing that. You know, you have your uh, secondary research, you have your primary research, and you have third party research, you, you have, you know, it, it's to your point, I don't think it's it's absolutely not a one size fits all. And it's not one methodology of research that's going to give you the best view of that customer on its own. It's a complete mixture. And so I think that, you know, if you've built that plan and the processes within that plan correctly, even six months ago, 12 months ago, would that process necessarily change right now? Um, again, I don't think so. If you've got those research channels up and running and you're monitoring them, you know, to your point, some of them don't need to be monitored as much as others. It really depends on the type of, of, of research and analytics that you're looking at. But if they're up and running, again, the channel, the, the media that you're using, I don't think changes. I think that's the, current, the, the common theme here. But the outcome from it probably will in these times. Yeah. What, what about prioritizing what you're doing into those accounts if, if so much is yeah. changing? For example, you're seeing a shift in types of stakeholders, um, department restructures, um, uh, uh, an adaptation of their, their own business strategy and, and priorities. Does it become a challenge to then think about what, what you do into each account and, and what you actually listen to in, in terms of triggers or catalyst events? Yes, I think so. And I think it's, a, it's, an amalgam, it's amalgamating all of that research that you're getting from those different sources and then really understanding to your point, each customer will have different challenges and I think, you know, if we get to true one-to-one ABM here, to your point, you actually would then want to prioritize which challenges you're going to deal with with your customers and target accounts in a priority order, as opposed to the, the next one that you're dealing with. So it's absolutely not a one-size-fits-all. So whilst the, the mediums and the channels that you use to, to gather that research might be relatively similar, again, I think actually there is a level of prioritization based uh, on each account in terms of they've got challenge one, two, three, and four, or which way are you going to rank them and what's most important to that customer and I think uh, you know again you can use your your firmographic and kind of secondary research but talking accounts talking to the customers I think that is uh, really where you get a qualitative angle and you can kind of you know really make an assessment on on what's important and then you know there's so I mean this is what's the great thing about ABM right is that there's so many layers to it and it's not simplistic and, and that's I think the value is so you can take an account and then you could look per geography and some accounts will have different challenges per geography. Some will have different challenges per plant. You can get persona level. And with that complexity, that's very much, I think, why you, you do, there is some level of prioritization that needs to be made. But like all things with, uh, like this, you know, the more data that you have, the stronger the way that you actually amalgamate that data and drive insights through it, the, the better the actions you're going to be able to take for your customers. So I'll loop back again to the point earlier. If your research process as part of your ABM strategy is strong anyway, you're going to have as data as you can possibly get. 
And if you've got the right people and right organization alignment to be assessing that data and acting on it, you're going to find it easier to prioritize anyway. Yeah. So it's, it's about having the fundamentals right, getting getting the process in place and the mindset of how you're approaching accounts and you can keep up with those changes at your customers. Absolutely. Yeah. So Ryan, thinking about some of um, the enterprise accounts that our clients are targeting, there's a lot of those accounts are putting off large investment decisions for a quarter, six months, a year. How are you thinking about that that shift more broadly across your ABM program? Um, yes. So again, and it, it seamlessly links on, doesn't it, from the last topic? It's about firstly you've got to understand what's actually happening. So who who is that? Who isn't doing that? What are they? And then it goes deeper than that. You know, it's not just a case of saying, okay, we're going to delay or we're going to whatever it might be. It's about understanding the intricacies of what that looks like. And so that then comes back to that very close level of, you know, laser focused research and understanding of your accounts. And I think, you know, once you understand that, you know, and that links back to an earlier point. Yes, that will affect the adjustment in messaging, but will potentially even adjust the way that, you know, you've commercially approached an account. And we talked about obviously different models of doing business earlier. And, and I think uh, those can be brought into that, uh, for example, depending on where where the account is from their financials, for example, um, to suit their needs. So I think that's, uh, that's, again, part of that overall process of understanding the account, adjusting the messaging, but then also adjusting you know, potentially wider agreements, which are going to help them to come through this and, and obviously well positioned again for the long term. Yeah. And with some organizations, I think there's a a tendency to say, well, let's not go a mile deep in these um, accounts if the the opportunity isn't there this year. Let's only go an inch deep or let's reduce our investment per account um, or increase the number of accounts a marketer is responsible for. Are you making any of those changes? Well, I think, again, if you believe in the industry and you believe in those accounts and it's at all feasible, you'll you'll stay a mile deep. You believe in the long term and you're delivering solutions that are applicable today and will be applicable in the future, in the medium to long term. If at all feasibly possible, you stay a mile deep. It did, I think this does, there is a huge caveat to this. I think if you are talking, if some companies are talking about shorter buying cycles or commoditization, you can kind of understand that rationale a little bit more. But if you're not talking about that, it's just a personal view, but I don't I don't see the necessity to suddenly go from a mile deep to an inch deep with accounts that you're looking to partner with for 20, 30 years and beyond. And Ryan, with some accounts, we've seen decision making shift as well, though, where they're not going out to uh, different vendors. They're sticking with the partners that they know and have worked with. So it does prevent you from taking more of a challenger type approach in in disrupting the status quo. Uh, are you seeing anything similar in, in those industries that are going through significant change? Yeah, so I, I think you're alluding to sort of barrier to entry, basically short-term disturbance. Well, I think um, that might be the case. That might be the case. But again, I think uh, you should that... So a question that might come from that is, should that then dictate how much research you do into that account in the short term? How much, you know, organizational mapping understanding their their strategy, understanding what they're doing. Should that directly affect that? And I think the answer to that is no. Uh, You know, again, it comes back to this, do you just want to be there in the good times and not in the not so good times? I I, I don't think that applies. I think, you know, it really is about taking that that longer term view. 
So yes, I can imagine that they're potentially our companies are looking to do that. Uh, but I, I think that if you believe in that the long-term fundamentals, even if you're not going to see that short-term return, and you know, look, this is one of the biggest challenges with ABM, right? In terms of getting that buy-in from internal stakeholders, because we know that if it's done properly, it you know, it's going to take longer than a standard demand generation campaign, a conventional marketing campaign, or conventional marketing strategy. But the returns are there for everybody to see. If done correctly, the returns are there for everybody to see. And that plays into, I think, the, the question that you've asked there, which is, you know, should we uh, start reprioritizing accounts or not looking at certain accounts because we, we don't think the investment's there this year? You know, my statement back to that would be, is that the right question to be asking? Or is the question more around, you know, is that still account an account that is a great fit for your company that you can deliver superb solutions to now and long into the future? If the answer to that is yes, then I don't think anything should change. I hear you. You're saying get the fundamentals right and stick with them. Make sure your your strategy is robust and don't don't tinker for the sake of it. Yeah, in terms of structure and time, I think yeah, messaging is different. But structure and targeting, absolutely. Got it. And. Ryan, given that right now your teams and, and your sales teams can't have in-person interactions, what's that meant for, for the sales cycle itself? And how is your ABM program helping to, to bridge some of that gap? Yes, definitely. I think, um, you know, a, a solid long-term ABM strategy is still going to include a lot of face-to-face interactions. And uh, it, you could argue that actually it's even more important ABM than any other type of marketing strategy. You know, you think about your top target accounts, you want that high touch, that personal touch, more, more intimate engagement. You know, we think about roundtables, we think about, you know, rather than spending five minutes with a customer on a booth, you know, you want to spend five hours with them, understanding those problems. So that is challenging with, without being able to have as many face-to-face interactions. But I think we're seeing this overall trend towards digital anyway. I think we were all experiencing that six months ago, 12 months ago, 18 months ago. It was absolutely coming down the tracks. Now, has it sped up? The answer to that is is unequivocally has to be yes. Um, the, The move to digital communications has definitely risen in prominence. But I think uh, if if you are looking at communicating with your customers anyway throughout you know the medium to long term the the digital interactions whether it be through you know just standard video hosting webinars we're now seeing the rise of virtual events in terms of trying to make you know booths uh, from the physical world into the digital world networking areas etc cetera, etc cetera. i think that it's it's definitely sped up it, will it ever replace the face-to-face meetings, you know, from an ABM perspective, I think it can probably get close. I don't think you'd ever say it's absolutely going to replace it. But there's one really interesting point in this. And I was thinking about this with virtual events the other day and webinars. You know, you look at some virtual event platforms and you you walk in digitally and you've got different booths that you can go to and you've got networking areas and you've got things that you can look at. You're very similar to what you would do physically. The analytics behind that, you know, there is a trade-off. There is absolutely some things that you can get that you cannot get when you're doing these things physically. So I'll give you an example. Somebody walks to your booth at an exhibition. You've got you know a lot of representatives on there, but your booth's flooded, and you don't always get to speak to everybody. And and that's really really unfortunate. They walk away. They're interested, but you you don't know who they are. And you you don't know that they came onto your booth. You certainly don't know how long they were on there. With the analytics behind some of these virtual events. You get that information. You can ascertain whether you'd miss somebody. Unfortunately, you'd hope not to miss somebody, mm-hmm. but if you had done, 
you can understand that. You can see how long they've been on that boob. You can see what they looked at. You've got virtual brochures. You can see what they picked up. You can see how many pages they've read. And, and so, you know, you can get into the granularity. So, well, if they read the first part of this white paper that they picked up, you know, they might be interested in more of the, the technical aspects of what we do. So you can then tailor your post-event follow-up. So I think that, look, it has affected things to not be able to do uh, in, in-person events in the same way. But I think that the, you know, some of the innovations that are happening around webinars and definitely virtual events are absolutely adding some additional value that we just didn't see before as well. So I think, uh, you know, there is a lot of positives to take from the general move towards digital um, communications and, and the innovations that are, that are coming out from there. And sometimes you can really deliver very very strong customer value from using those analytics that just wouldn't be possible with a physical interaction. Yeah, I think using that the, the digital data, the signals and the intent scores, one of the things we're seeing is that sellers are also able to identify moments of intervention and, and step in. Is Are you seeing any kind of uplift in sales enablement as a result where, where the seller is is essentially the human, that the trusted human that can filter out and provide some of the right information at the right time? Uh, yes, definitely. I think, uh, you know, really interesting topic is is around social selling. And I think, um, you know, obviously you we talked about the, the virtual events, but definitely sales teams now becoming you know very involved and very positive um, about changing the way that we we deal with customers for the customer benefit and so we are seeing you know and I guess it's a it's a bit of a, a, a mindset shift but you know we're seeing it absolutely um, in a very very positive way um, and there's so many different ways that this manifests itself right you know we talk about webinars we talk about virtual events but even things such as social selling like I say and really understanding connecting with people, whether it be through social platforms, you know, understanding, you know, being able to see what they like, what they comment on, uh, what groups they're in, you know, you attend a, a group in a, in a social networking platform, for example, and be able to, you know, get involved in that train of, of, of commentary and discussion in a group about your, your solution or, or the wider industry that you're in. That's how different is that to walking into a networking room and uh, actually speaking to somebody. I mean, it's not that different. It's just in digital form. And I think we are definitely seeing positive, positive engagement with that. And I, I think a certain element of that is going to continue into the future because I think there are some very positive ways. And the analytics is a major one that we talked about earlier, positive things that you can use that can help you to drive enhanced customer value by using these, these uh, online platforms. But I think, you know, face-to-face uh, will will come back and I think we will will uh, be stronger. But I think the digital element is going to play a massive part and probably an ever-increasing part long into the future anyway. There are some, I'm seeing some lower barriers to entry though with things like um, virtual events. We ran one with one of our clients where they had 10 CIOs turn up to a virtual event in North America and ordinarily trying to get those 10 people into the same room um, who are quite geographically spread in North America would have been a a real challenge. There's definite value and upside, but the water cooler chat and the the in-corridor snippets of even insight, that's harder to to glean from customers. Is there anything that you're doing in your program to, to help create some of that intimacy yeah and do you know what i think again this in a way this comes down to the planning again and again it, it really depends on how the the abm plan is built but i mean for example just take a given account and obviously you want to map who you, who you need to talk to who the decision makers are who the influencers are 
etc etc and let's say you're planning a virtual event and you manage to get some of these people who kindly agreed to come along to have these discussions are you going to do no background research are you going to not really understand obviously about that person's role but what you know there, there is a lot of data out there at the moment which can really help you to position your messaging and and, and what you want to talk about that's going to be relevant on a person-to-person -person basis and let alone a one-to-one -one account basis um, we hear a lot more uh, now about your sort of person-to-person -person marketing, et cetera. I don't, mean, I don't think that's 100% there yet, but I think it's the next evolution from ABM and will be embedded into ABM to a certain extent. So, you know, to your question, that, that corridor water cooler chat, yeah, yeah, impossible to recreate it exactly. But I think it can be absolutely appeased by research that you, you should have done, as we said earlier, as part of the overall ABM strategy. So the standard nuances, you know, a, a great colleague of mine said to me um, a, a while ago, uh, talking about prospecting and how that's changing with, you know, social selling and th things like that. And he said uh, it was something along the lines of, you know, you go into a, a customer's office and, he'd, you know, be looking on the warm source, sort of like um, uh, motorcycle memorabilia and pictures of different things. And, and you can pick up cues about what, you know, what you would talk to them about that, that you have in common or that you're going to find engaging. It's not necessarily even just to do with, with what you're talking about from a commercial point of view. And of course, we see that replicated online. I mean, if you're connected to somebody socially or LinkedIn or whatever it might be, you can see those cues and they put them up there publicly, you know, consensually. And, you know, you can you can use that to bring that in. Potentially, you might even have more social cues mm -hmm. than you would offline. So again, are you going to be able to create recreate the water cooler moment in in 100%? No. Are there things that online can do to negate that gap? Absolutely, yes. Yeah. And what, what about um, a lot of these video meetings and interactions with customers? Um, traditionally, you are able to use things like direct mail, physical events. Those uh, tactics are, are probably not part of your ABM program right now. But also thinking about meeting with a customer, often you're looking to drive a, a particular type of conversation. If you're joining a, a video call, a lot of those tend to be presentation focused as opposed to let's have a, a sidebar conversation how, how can you recreate some of those moments in a, in a buying process yeah absolutely I, I i think a really good way is that we're uh, that we're starting to see now in this evolution is the implementation of interactivity through some of these online platforms so i mean just take the standard webinar now including polling throughout that webinar interactive questions if you're going to talk to people for 45 minutes or an hour um, and not have any of it bilateral. You know, it's a completely unilateral presentation. I mean, how do you even know that they're, they're still engaged to your point? And we don't want that. We, we want to make sure that they're engaged. And so when we do many of these uh, webinars or virtual events, uh, you know, we try to make them as interactive as possible. Because back to the point at the very start of the podcast, you know, if you don't understand um, your accounts and the actors within your accounts um, and their wants and needs, whether that be the long-term view or, or the day-to-day -day view, you're not going to be able to, to provide value to them. And Ryan, flipping this to your internal stakeholders, uh, account-based marketing has always been positioned as a long game. If you've got execs who are perhaps looking for you know, sales leaders who are looking for their next role, do you tend to get different types of buy-in to, to your program if if they're new to the organization or, or if they're, they're looking at their, their next move? Yeah, it's a great question. I think it's, and it's a completely multivariate answer to that, really, to your point. So does tenure and experience, you know, directly 
definitely influence, in my experience, whether people are open to that level of change to a modern marketing philosophy. I don't think that's the pivotal point. I think if the education around what ABM is in its modern form, what it can deliver, how it's so customer centric, I think if that's communicated to the right people in the right way, and if the company's culture and, and alignment is customer centric, then by virtue of those two things coming together, you know, it's going to it's it's going to come to fruition. That's what I find. It's not necessarily around obviously the the tenure of an employee in general. Now, uh, obviously, you could get onto to your point if our you know we know ABM is a long term process, unrivaled results, but a long term process. So you know, it takes a bit of time to build it properly. And so yes, you know, if you've got somebody who's in the fourth year of a of a five year role, you, you know, you you might have to question. You know, I'm obviously going to be pitching a modern philosophy that might take a couple of years to deliver immense results you know, which are not going to be seen in the tenure of the, of the person in that role. That obviously, I think is what you're getting at. And that there's a lot written about that in agency theory and in corporate governance. And uh, uh, every company, you know, has to uh, has to address that. But I think, as I say, if the structure and the strategy of the company is aligned with the markets and with the accounts that you want to target as part of your strategy, and I think that's where ABM, a lot of people are now realizing that ABM is not just a marketing strategy, it's a complete corporate strategy. If that uh, is starting to manifest, then obviously you're, you're going to get that, that buy-in. And so I think it's not necessarily about the individual stakeholders. It's about the, the, the strategy of the company and the education that's put around that of the need to be account-centric, vertical-centric, which is going to deliver better, deliver better results to your customers and for, for your company itself by virtue of that. So, you know, I'm taking it really a little bit more away from the, the facet of the individual person and, and really saying that that really will be addressed if the strategy is correct in the first place and if the education around what ABM is is given to the right people at the right time. I think if those two things are in place, then it will... It, it will flourish absolutely, but if those two things are not in place, um, then obviously, uh, and you, you're not educating on what it is, um, it's not being communicated directly, and the strategy of the company is, you know, perhaps very short term, then it's it's not going to manifest anyway. If that makes sense. Yeah, I couldn't I couldn't agree more. I think account account based marketing should be seen as a, a go to market motion that involves more more than marketing. And on that point, Ryan, are you finding it? easier or harder to bring uh, cross-functional teams together as you're planning or activating your activity in accounts? No, I, I think it's working really well because, you know, what's happening is we, we're starting to get really good um, results in terms of obviously customer satisfaction and feedback, et cetera. And that's resonating. That's bringing in more functions in general. Um, and if you think about the whole process of an ABM strategy from uh, I mean, really, it starts at the corporate strategy level, you know, understanding the markets that you want to serve. And by virtue of that, you know, you have the accounts within those markets. So then you need to understand how they work together within the supply chain and the value chain, et cetera, et cetera. Now, that's going to include a lot more than just one subsegment of marketing. It's obviously market intelligence. Um, you have commercial operations might be involved in that. Um, you've got, obviously, you, you're already nat naturally gravitating other functions into that. When you come to your messaging, obviously, communication is absolutely critical. Um, we, you, know, you talked about top accounts, you, know, you talked about virtual events, but obviously, these, these roundtables, these high-level CXO-level roundtables, well, who's going to be in the room for that? It's going to be 
members of your board. Uh, you know, having those really positive conversations about the mega trends and how how we can help the organ the organization in general, or maybe even you know, obviously what wider society as well. So by virtue of the strategy. I think that's sort of a theme that's running through here. The strategy being set up correctly, it's almost impossible to implement it properly without those other functions becoming involved. Of course, when you're starting out, if you want to run an ABM trial campaign, it's going to be much more cocooned. Of, of course, it's impossible not to. But as it scales out, absolutely, the other functions almost have to be involved or not be able to implement an enterprise-wide ABM strategy. Yeah, I'm definitely seeing a lot of organizations bring more laser focus and almost put the customer at the center, the the utopia of account-based marketing, um, where marketing teams, perhaps in traditional sense, had, had just gone out to the wider market and sales had focused on accounts. This current market context is definitely putting more focus on here's a group of accounts that we absolutely need to either put more energy into or develop and grow. Yes, absolutely. I couldn't agree more. And Ryan, it'd be great if you could share your practical tips um, for other sales marketing leaders on how you, you're protecting that short-term growth for and also building for, for the long-term future? Uh, so tip number one, most important, uh, get the research strategy right. <laughs> so regardless of the situation, that that is the fundamental part for me of any successful ABM strategy. As much data as you can get, the analysis and the insight driven from that data, whether it's today, whether it was six months ago, whether it's in six years' time, it's going to be absolutely critical to delivering what the customers want and need. Um, and that will lead on to the next tip. So, you know, once you've got that, it's then about actually prioritizing from the insights that you've driven from that data, what adjustments do we need to make now to help customers through perhaps disruptive times um, that is still going to link to that longer term value proposition and still sets us up to be strong together in the future. So tip number one, if, if that's done correctly with the research, you should have a decent amount of data and accurate data, which you can then for tip number two, prioritize effectively. So deliver the right messages um, which are important to those customers right now obviously it's acting upon that so it's one thing to deliver the message but then obviously you want to make sure that you've actually structured the organization your services so that you can actually deliver what they need in the short term it's all very well saying something but you've actually got to go and do it and if those three things happen together consequentially of each other then you should be able to see through the, the short term and be set up then to continue your long-term narrative for the value that you want to drive for those customers uh, in, in the very long term. Brilliant. So get get the fundamental strategy right for the long term, prioritize effectively for both the short term and long term. And right now, make sure you're acting on it, not not just putting it off for the future or waiting for something else that it to, to respond to. Absolutely. It can't just be a message. <laughs> <laughs> can't, can't stay as shel shelfware, that's for sure. Thanks so much for sharing all of your insights today, Ryan. I really enjoyed the conversation. No, thank you, Alicia. It's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you very much. This podcast is brought to you by Momentum ABM, the account-based marketing consultancy, transforming how sales and marketing teams grow their biggest customers. You can learn more at MomentumABM.com.